from WNYC in New York. It's America. Are we ready? Our Thursday night national call-in show for President Biden's first 100 days. This is day 79. Tonight, America, are we ready to define infrastructure in human terms? Good evening, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC. Great to be back with you again. And as I said before the news, Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure plan includes $400 billion to expand home care for the elderly. And yes, he considers that infrastructure. Now, a second phase of the bill to be announced soon includes additional kinds of family programs. And yes, he says that's all considered infrastructure if you ask the right people. Ask the moms and dads in the sandwich generation, the folks carrying enormous personal and financial strains trying to raise their children and care for their parents, their elderly parents, or members of their families with a disability. That's President Biden speaking yesterday. Our guests this hour from the National League of Cities and the group called Care in Action will make this case and take your calls as we look at human infrastructure in the Biden plan. With me first, Clarence Anthony, CEO and Executive Director of the National League of Cities. For 24 years, he was the mayor of South Bay, Florida, which, if you know Florida, is on Lake Okeechobee in the western part of Palm Beach County, same county as Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago, but we won't get into that tonight. That's just for your geographic orientation. Clarence Anthony was also president of the Florida League of Cities before heading up the national organization. Mr. Anthony, thanks for joining us, and welcome to America. Are we ready? Thank you very much, Brian, for having me. What a pleasure to be able to uh, talk to your, you as well as, as your uh, hearing audience. And listeners, if you've come to know this show in our first 10 Thursdays on the air, you know we invite calls from all over the country and from many points of view. And every week we come up with a different question or two. Tonight we've got two. And our first question tonight is for anyone in a family like the president was referring to in that clip. That is, if you are in the sandwich generation, which means you're raising kids and you have elderly parents, what kinds of infrastructure would you like the government to spend money on? 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. Who wants to answer that question as a sandwich generation person? Our lines are yours if you're out there. Again, if you are in the sandwich generation, which means you're raising kids and you have elderly parents, what kinds of infrastructure would you like the government to spend money on? 844-745-TALK. Now, I'll acknowledge that sandwich generation people might be too busy to be listening to the radio at this specific time of day. But who knows? If you're out there, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're out there, we're inviting your voice. What kinds of infrastructure would you like the government to spend money on? Does it include human infrastructure? like home care for elderly and disabled Americans, and not just roads and bridges and other hardware. 844-745-TALK. Sandwich Generation listeners, if you're there, 844-745-8255. Mr. Anthony, is there a term, while we're waiting for calls to come in, is there a term here that you prefer to use? Some people say care infrastructure, some say human infrastructure. Are they the same thing? And how do you like to talk about this? 
Well, uh, first of all, Brian, thank you for um, recognizing where my hometown was, where I was mayor over 20 years. Very <laughs> few people imagine that Palm Beach County is just Palm Beach. It, you yeah. know, I grew up in a poor, uh, poverty-stricken community, Belle Glade, South Bay, Florida, where the per capita income was about $20,000 a year for um, a family of four. And so as we talk about, and I'd say human infrastructure, people infrastructure, I, I take that in consideration because what we're talking about is the quality of life that we want uh, to see in America and that that quality of life expands beyond uh, just uh, a certain group of folks in our cities, towns, and villages, but it, it expands and uh, across a number of uh, social economic uh, groups. So, so I do think this is about people, and this is also about creating jobs and investing in the infrastructure of the people. Happy to say that though I don't live in Florida, I've been in Belle Glade and I've gone boating on Lake Okeechobee. But in the, oh my two, God. <laughs> in, the in the two trillion dollar jobs plan, four hundred billion dollars, so around one in every five dollars out of the two trillion, spread out over the next eight years, is slated to go for what they call home or community based care for elderly or disabled people. Can you describe what home or community based care refers to there? Yeah, in, in regards to the uh, American Jobs uh, Plan, it, it refers to the fact that we have identified through the COVID-19 pandemic so many gaps. And one of the major gaps has been that of the, the senior, the aging population within our, our uh, nation. And, and so what I see in this bill is the fact that we recognize that we have to make sure that um, the aged population, the elderly population is, is taken care of, uh, and that it's not just um, uh, providing an opportunity uh, for those who are able to afford to go to um, a nursing home and, and pay for that service um, and, and have a, a more comprehensive caring system. This plan also takes in consideration that some would like to be able to uh, spend that time with their family. But if we're gonna do that, we gotta be able to provide the dollars uh, to uh, those who are going to take care of them as well, uh, because they don't have the benefit and, and uh, resources that perhaps you and I and others do. So I think that this is, this is a very thoughtful uh, plan and for city leaders, we want to be able to um, uh, provide service from cradle to grave. I mean, that sounds morbid, but it's in fact true because we have a diversity of people in our cities. So just creating jobs is, is just one element of a leader and what we need to do in the people infrastructure. We need to create opportunities as we transition as well. Now, because sandwich generation people are so good at multitasking, they have to be, some of them are calling into the show. So Sharon in Dayton, Ohio, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Sharon. Hi. 
So I'm definitely sandwiched because not only I'm actually just um, coming home from visiting my mom in a nursing home, mm-hmm. and I have a special needs um, adult child who um, will be looking for housing in the next few years. So mm-hmm. uh, I feel this very uh, deeply. Um, But, you know, like like, uh, the person that was just talking had said, you know, um, we have, I live in a nice neighborhood, which is great, and we have a lot of facilities for um, adult or elderly adults, but a lot of them now don't take Medicaid. And so you can't pay, you get kicked out. Um, And so that needs to be addressed, along with the staffing is terrible. We can't find people to staff these. Um, low-income jobs to take care and to get decent care um, and you know from a perspective of a par- of a parent as a special needs child um, you know I'm looking at potentially having to find housing buying a house that and then trying to staff it with people um, who can help take care of him if we don't want him to live with us um, later in life so uh, and, you know, you don't want that. I don't want to be an 80-year-old parent that has a, to take care of a special needs kid right. um, because there isn't support in the neighborhood or in the community to do that. And I live in a more affluent neighborhood. You know, uh, you go into, uh, um, you know, uh, neighborhoods that have lower social economic uh, areas, there's nothing. Sharon, so, th- thank you so much for starting us off from Dayton. We really appreciate it. Sandwich generation with a special needs adult child, no less. Let's go right to our next caller, Evan in Detroit. Evan, you're on America. Are we ready? Thank you so much for calling in. Hi, thanks for having me. So are you sandwich generation? What's your family situation? And what kind of infrastructure would you like to see the government invest in? Yeah, I definitely am. Um, I actually just put my uh, two-year-old down to bed, and I'm in the car on the way over to my dad's house to check on him. Um, And whether it's in this infrastructure bill or another, in addition to the financial support that's there to care for our parents in their homes, you know, a fully funded maternity and paternity leave system, um, I think, would go a long way to helping uh, families in general, but families like mine uh, have the financial stability and flexibility and mental health to start your family the right way while also trying to care for and figure out your parents' care. So leaning on the fully funded maternity and paternity leave portion. Evan, thank you so much. And Mr. Anthony, um, the Washington Post reported that there were competing priorities Within the Biden White House, before they announced this jobs program and thinking about Evan's call, they decided to put this elder care plan up front in phase one here and postpone other human infrastructure pieces like more child care and family leave to phase two, which I gather he'll announce shortly. But does that say anything to you about the centrality of the need for more elder and disabled care as Biden sees it? or as you see it, because that's apparently the priority at the White House. Well, I, I, I think that we, we recognize that there's going to be two plans. And, uh, and this package is, is about, um, you know, jobs as well as investing in all people of all ages. And I think that what we have seen is that 
again, this pandemic uh, just had a major impact on our elderly community. And it's going to have a long-term systemic impact in their health, as well as the systems that we have uh, developed in our nation. And so I think what the president is, is saying is that if we're going to recover and make sure that all of our um, citizens are healthy and cared for, he's focusing in the first package, if you will, on, on the elderly. And I don't I have to, think ju- I have to jump gonna... in. You say where he's not going to stop yeah. there. I get it. And we have to take a break, so I'm going to jump in. When we come back, um, I'm going to give everybody some context as to maybe why he went this way first, because as the first caller indicated, it's not only a lot of elderly people, there aren't enough people to fill those jobs. So we continue on America Are We Ready? Debate is welcome. Compromise is inevitable, changes are certain, and the next few weeks, the Vice President and I will be meeting with Republicans and Democrats to hear from everyone, and we'll be listening. We'll be open to good ideas and good faith negotiations. But here's what we won't be open to. We will not be open to doing nothing. Inaction simply is not an option. Inaction is simply not an option, as I accidentally cut the President of the United States off there. It's America Are We Ready, our Thursday night national call-in show for President Biden's first 100 days. It's day 79. I'm Brian Lehrer. And tonight it's America Are We Ready to include home health care for the elderly and disabled in our definition of infrastructure. That's one-fifth of the president's infrastructure spending proposal so far, or $400 billion over the next eight years. Making the case for this is Clarence Anthony, CEO of the National League of Cities, and inviting you to call in for another few minutes if you're in the sandwich generation and have kids at home and elderly parents in your lives, too. The president wants to know what infrastructure you want the government to help pay for. So we're seeing what you say, 844-745-TALK. Mr. Anthony, the um, Washington Post article I cited a minute ago says prioritizing elder care reflects growing alarm by some experts about the nation's inability to absorb the enormous growth in the nation's elderly population, a challenge that threatens to strain an already limited workforce of caregivers, complicate the retirement of millions of people, and force many adult children, particularly adult daughters, out of the labor market to care for their parents. So would you care to comment on this sort of demographic tsunami that's behind this push? Yeah, I, I do think that, as you indicated, as we were going to uh, break, um, there's absolutely a job, uh, a, a pairing for the fiscal infrastructure and the workforce training that will be needed uh, as we look at this tsunami, as you, uh, as you framed it. I also do think that not only um, are we going to have that impact on uh, women, y- young women, who will be um, challenged with trying to find ways to take care of their elderly parents, uh, but all, also those that are, are, again, poor in our community. The divide that we saw that came out of this pandemic, we got to address. And so this is why this workforce piece 
uh, as it relates to the healthcare industry is important. So I think this is the time to really deal with this because the COVID-19 in the state of Florida, um, you know, I'm in D.C. now, but in my home state, had devastating impact on the people of their long-term health. And so we got to make sure we take care of our elderly. But we also got to create jobs that we'll be able to take care of them. And this bill speaks to that. Kathleen in Southern Utah, you're on America Are We Ready? Hi, Kathleen. Thanks for calling in. Yes. Hi, Brian and Clarence. I'm just out of the sandwich uh, generation, and I took care of my dad. I'm the oldest daughter. I also have a great science background, so I was his medical advocate for eight years. While we had able to hire aides, I was not able to work during those eight years. And during that time, I tried to create really a high-quality life as my father became more and more disabled. However, I had no income for those eight, eight years. And one of the thoughts that I had while this was going on was, why can't I get some Social Security credit for this? You know, because I had zero now for those eight years, and that really penalizes you as you get older for your own Social Security. And it just seemed to me so bizarre that, you know, corporations would be getting all kinds of cuts, and I was, you know, really taking good care of my dad at my own cost. And it, it really felt like out of, out of balance. And it's really a gender issue, too, Kathleen, isn't it? Have you thought of it that way? Because there are so yeah. many women, disproportionately women, who take time out of the traditional workforce to take care of kids or take care of elderly parents. And then, as you say, they don't get Social Security credit for the work, and it is work that they're actually doing. Yes, I was working nonstop for my dad. It was a full-time job. And I loved my dad and you know, was able to because I'm his oldest child, knew a lot about him, so constructed, you know, got him in his wheelchair and in the car and took him to all these places as much as possible because he was pretty much paralyzed. And um, my brothers, though, I have to say, although they might not have had uh, as much intimate contact, um, I worked with one of my brothers who was had more income than I did, and he helped finance. So I would tell my brother, what we need, and he would try to do the financing for it. But I was still left out on a limb. You know, I lost time working. I lost time for Social Security. And it just seemed I, I'm really happy that President Biden is starting to consider these real issues. Kathleen, thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. I think your story, yeah. besides being very clear, is very instructive for a lot of people. Let's go next to Eric in Spokane, home of the almost undefeated Gonzaga Bulldogs. Hi, Eric. You're on America. Are we ready? Hi. So, yeah, um, what I would really like to see is something that kind of maybe a little bit more of an oversight into a lot of these care facilities as far as, you know, what they're able to do and um, kind of rights of the people who live there. Um, I take care of my mother who lives in a, a retirement community and I stay with her and I can really see how these um, facilities are able to kind of, you know, uh, push people around kind of in a sense and um, are able to pull in a lot of money. 
uh, from it. And I would also like to see some kind of financial assistance as well, because taking care of a parent is really a very compassionate, uh, hard thing to do. And when you aren't able to really work as much or do something uh, to sustain yourself as much, it kind of sets yourself up for failure in the long run because you're taking a lot of time to take care of somebody and you're not necessarily getting uh, very much back. It just kind of accumulates stress. And I think that that will affect people, you know, in the longer run. Um, I'm 24 years old, so it's very exciting to hear Biden speak about this because as we, a lot of us have heard, is we have something called the silver tsunami coming our way. And this issue is likely to just get worse and worse. And if Eric, I'm going to leave it there. Paint it in. But thank you so much. Another very, very clear story. And you could just hear the compassion dripping from his voice, as with the previous caller. And let me go to one more right away in the set. Uh, Maybe a little contrarian on the question. Michael in Wilmington, Delaware. Michael, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi there. Thanks for calling in. Hey, thank you for having me. So what kind of infrastructure? I see you're a sandwich generation. You told our screener. And what kind of infrastructure would you like to see the government spend money on? I mean, like I told the screener, you know, um, you know, I, I mean, even though I'm not ac- answering the question specifically, I'd really like to see our government go ahead and compete with the other governments around the world and get us a high-speed rail system that can take us from the East Coast to West Coast in a matter of hours. Uh, you know, I used to help my grandma out. You know, I don't know about other people. I'm 30, and I enjoy helping her out. And, uh, you know, that's all I really got to say, man. And Michael, I hear you. Well, and this is a little bit of a yeah. diversion from what we've been talking about so far. But, you know, Biden addresses this, too. And I'm going to play a clip of the president putting this very, very interestingly, I think, in terms of why he thinks the government should invest a lot of money to develop next generation technology. Here he is. Do you think China is waiting around to invest in this digital infrastructure or in research and development? I promise you, they are not waiting. But they're counting on American democracy to be too slow, too limited, and too divided to keep pace. You've heard me say it before. I think this generation can be marked by the competition between democracies and autocracies, because the world is changing so rapidly. The autocrats are betting on democracy not being able to generate the kind of unity needed to make decisions to get in that race. We can't afford to prove them right. Talk about putting it in a big thing. Context, Mr. Anthony, a last thought from you before we swap guests? Well, the last thought from me is that we do have to invest in the people infrastructure. And the other part of it's this American jobs plan, we got 8.4 million people jobless in America. And we need to invest in our infrastructure, our people, our roads, our bridges. Uh, We need to invest in a digital divide. We saw that people of color around our country uh, as it relates to COVID has fallen behind. Uh, So we have a lot of work. And 
it's not just about the pipes and the water and wastewater systems. It's about positioning us to be competitive uh, in the world. And I'm so honored uh, and appreciate, uh, Brian, you having me on your show. And if you ever come back to South Florida and want to go out of Lake Okeechobee <laughs> and catch some uh, catfish, you let me know. You'll be the first person I call. Thank you very much, Clarence Anthony, CEO and Executive Director of the National League of Cities. We're talking about the human infrastructure or care infrastructure portions of President Biden's proposal for an American jobs program here on America. Are we ready tonight? And just to reset before we bring in our next guest, the president is making the case that the people portion of this is legitimately infrastructure, too, not just the roads and bridges and broadband and things like that. And he says, ask the moms and dads in the sandwich generation with kids growing up and aging parents what kinds of infrastructure they need. Ask them what sort of infrastructure they need to build a little better life, to be able to breathe a little bit. It's expanded services for seniors. It's home care workers go in and cook their meal, help them get around and live independently in their home, allowing them to stay in their homes, and I might add, saving Medicaid hundreds of millions of dollars in the process. It's better wages and benefits and opportunities for caregivers who are disproportionately women, women of color, and immigrants. President Biden yesterday, and with me now is Jess Morales Raquetto, Director of Civic Engagement for the National Domestic Workers Alliance and Executive Director of the related group Care in Action, where she spearheads political advocacy campaigns on behalf of domestic workers. Ms. Morales Raquetto, thanks for coming on. Welcome to America. Are we ready? Thank you. So glad to be here. And we talked more in the first half um, about the need for this from the point of view of the clients the fast-growing number of older Americans, you represent the worker side of the equation. So let's talk about them. You heard the president in that clip just now refer to both. Who are the caregivers to elder, elderly Americans who need care in their homes? Demographically speaking, who do you represent? Yes, what a great question. Um, you know, our nation's caregivers are, um, for us, domestic workers are elder care workers, nannies, and house cleaners. And these are, um, this is an industry, it's overwhelmingly women, many, um, over half, I would say, immigrant women. Um, and often what you find is that these women are, are long-term caregivers. So they may have started by being a nanny and eventually move into elder care work or home care work, um, or they might be a nanny and also a housekeeper. So they really do provide the care that makes all other work possible. And listeners, we'll switch up the question for you to call in on as we have changed guests and our emphasis here a little bit. We've been emphasizing calls from people who might hire home health care workers. Now we'll specifically invite anyone who works in what you would consider a care infrastructure job or a human infrastructure job yourself. 844-745-TALK. Maybe you want to talk about your pay or working conditions. Wait till you hear these average pay numbers for people who work in home health. Uh, we, we've got some of those. But what would you like to see in the $400 billion portion of the president's proposed jobs program 
infrastructure spending. If you are or have ever been a home health care worker, you get first priority right now, 844-745-TALK. If you've ever done that work with elderly people in particular, you'll get even higher first priority, 844-745-TALK. 844-745-8255. But anyone who works in the care infrastructure or human infrastructure sector, and especially with elderly people, or if you've ever done that, what are your pay and working conditions like? And to the central point here, what would you like to see in the $400 billion portion of the president's proposed jobs program that is human infrastructure spending, 844-745-TALK, with Jess Morales Riquetto from the Domestic Workers Alliance. I asked our previous guests, so I'll ask you, is there a term here that you prefer? Some people say care infrastructure. Some say human infrastructure. Are they the same thing? Because I know language matters. And how do you like to introduce people to the idea of this as infrastructure? Yes. Um, I would say we prefer care infrastructure. Human infrastructure is also fine, but part of this is about the types of services that are being provided. Now, one thing we always say about care work is this is not only absolutely essential in the present, and I think over the past year, the pandemic has really thrown into stark relief how important care is, but also these are um, the jobs of the future as well. The rise of home care, a demand for home care um, is only increasing. And what we're finding is Americans are finding it hard to find and pay for care themselves. And caregivers are finding it hard to support their families, not to mention to make sure that these jobs are actually good jobs. So both the need for care um, is universal and caregivers have a lot of needs that are not being addressed by the working conditions and the jobs as they are right now. And let me get a call in here before we have to go to our next break. It's Karen in New Alm, Minnesota. Karen, you're on America. Are we ready? Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. I am a, I'm an RN. I work in home care and hospice. And um, I have to say, I, I, truly love and feel very passionate about what I do, as do, I believe, all of my coworkers. And um, some of the, and I, and I, even, we have wonderful facilities in our area, both assisted living and skilled nursing facilities, but um, people want to be home. And, mm-hmm. and I think they're known by their families. They want to be cared for by their families. And, uh, do you I think, think the, the, the financing the caregiver... that's out there, Karen, the financing that's out there forces people into nursing homes or institutional hospice rather than at home? Yeah. And it, you know, there, there's a lot of technicalities. Medicare only covers intermittent care, and there has to be a skilled need, and the person needs to be homebound in most cases. And we're going to leave it there. Karen, thank you very much as we have to take a one-minute break. But we're going to pick up on that point and expand on it when we continue. It's America, Are We Ready? 
It's America, Are We Ready? Our Thursday night national call-in show for President Biden's first 100 days. I'm Brian Lehrer here on day 79. Tonight, are we ready to include home health care for the elderly in our definition of infrastructure? That's one-fifth of the president's infrastructure spending proposal so far, or $400 billion over the next eight years. Making the case for this in this segment of the show is Jess morales Raquetto, executive director of the group Care in Action, which advocates for domestic workers. And we're inviting calls from domestic workers with the elderly, or anyone else in similar work to describe your pay and working conditions and what you think should be in a human infrastructure bill, 844-745-TALK. But you know what, folks? Not everybody is having it. Here is Republican Senator Roy Blunt from Missouri on Fox News Sunday. My advice to the White House has been take that bipartisan win uh, do this in a more traditional infrastructure way. And then if you want to force the rest of the package uh, on Republicans in the Congress and the country, you could certainly do that. You'd still have all the tools available for what is clearly going to turn out to be another purely partisan exercise. I, I think it's a big mistake for the administration. Senator Blunt. So Jess Morales, uh, Raquetto, it's it's not a slam dunk politically, as we can hear there. What do you see as the political obstacles and why? You know, I do think that people are used to thinking about a somewhat narrow definition of infrastructure, you know, roads, bridges, and broadband. But, you know, for me, the people who lift our economy and build our infrastructure don't just work in factories and wear hard hats anymore. They are caregivers. Um, you know, who are, are working just as hard to keep our country thriving. And we know that actually a vast majority of Americans are very supportive of care infrastructure. In fact, 92% of voters across party lines, so this includes Republicans, think care should be a priority for the country. So to me, that is absolutely one of the most exciting things about care in this time of polarization both Democratic and Republican voters overwhelmingly support care as a priority. I mean, I don't know that many issues that have 92% approval ratings. Mm. Kareem in Newark. You're on America. Are we ready? Thanks so much for calling in, Kareem. Thanks, Brian, for having me. You know, Brian, you know, looking at my mom, she's a retired RN. Um, during the COVID, she came out of retirement to help out in her community. Um, I was scared, like most of my other family was scared of her going in. But what I did notice is that we know it was a huge disparity. Kareem, it sounds like you're off mic a little bit. If you can speak right into your phone, it'll help help us hear you, okay? Okay. So we do, we do see that it was a large disparity in the black and brown community. So investing in human infrastructure you know, we see a lot of hospitals constantly closed in the black and brown communities. Um, we need to invest in programs that train people from high school to college and support them to college to be doctors, nurses, dentists, all those healthcare professionals, and um, compensate them by waiving their student loans if they stay in their communities and work. Mm-hmm. That's investing that- in human capital. Thank you very much, Kareem. So to his point, Jess Morales-Raquetto, is that in the bill? 
I don't believe that student loan forgiveness for caregivers is in the bill. I do know there is um, a lot moving around student loan forgiveness in um, Congress, especially with Senator Warren. You know, we really do think that um, making care affordable is really important. Um, and that includes making sure that these jobs are good paying jobs because they are not good paying jobs right now. Uh, the average care worker um, makes a sub-poverty wage. So investing in these jobs is also investing in the jobs of the future to make sure that they are well-paying jobs. That's absolutely critical. Let's get into that. I read that the average pay for a home care attendant is only around $17,000, and that's according to the union, SEIU. So I have to acknowledge it's an advocacy-generated number. So I looked it up on the job site Indeed.com, which is not a union that represents the workers, and Indeed said the average at-home health care hourly pay, pay ranges from approximately $9.93 per hour for an attendant to $30.29 per hour for a registered nurse. So let's take the RNs out of the equation for now. $9.93, call it $10 an hour for an at-home healthcare attendant, 40-hour week times 50 weeks. That's still only $20,000 for a full year of full-time work. What's the impact of that on those workers and on the people who they care for? Yes. It is very, very tough, um, particularly in the places where we see the most home care workers. So, um, you know, in New York and Los Angeles are some of the biggest amounts of, of domestic workers. And these are places where it's very expensive to live. You cannot, um, you know, it's very difficult to make it work on $20,000 a year. That means that home care workers are having a hard time supporting their own families, putting food on the table, you know, making sure that that we aim the pandemic, that they even have steady employment. Um, but there is a real toll as well, I think, on the, the people that they're providing care to. Um, you know, this is very physical work, um, taking care of elders. It can involve, you know, helping people make their way up and down the stairs, um, making food, giving baths. And all of that is really tough when you have to work sometimes two or three jobs uh, well over 40 hours and still not making enough to make ends meet, you know, that also makes it hard to provide the care that everyone deserves. So all of this cost of care and the high cost of care is putting a crunch on the care workers themselves and on the people that they care for. If we could make care more affordable and we can make sure that, you know, the downstream effects of that are not that workers don't make enough money to feed their own families. The cost of our care would increase um, and caregivers would be able to have good jobs. Jane in Atlanta, you're on America Are We Ready? Hi, Jane. Thanks for calling in. Hi, how are you today? Good, thank you. How about you? Um, you work in this industry? Um, Yes. So right now I'm on my way from work. So I was just listening to the lady. She said, throughout this whole pandemic, I've been working and not just one home health aid job. I've been working three different jobs. And most of these jobs, they pay PNAs and home health aid, $10, And we do so much more work than mm -hmm. just sitting with them. We're able to take them up, like she said, up and down the stairs. We're making them dinner. We're cleaning the homes. We're taking them to the grocery stores. And for me, I have two kids. Most of these apartments and homes, you have to make three times the rent. And I practically, I don't even make that much 
at one home of a job to be able to afford an apartment or even afford a home. So I'm just working for low pay, no insurance, and then I only see my kids like two times a week is when I finally beg for a day off because we don't get days off. And I just think that they need to raise the pay for home health aid because we are doing a lot of work. And I understand the nurses, they do a lot of work, but you have to understand what we are doing is physical labor and mental labor, and it's a hard job. Jane, be safe out there. Thank you so much for your call. Such clarity from Jane in Atlanta. Jess Morales, Riquetto. Jane, oh my goodness, yes, you just, it's like, (laughs) she said what I said, you know, like, this is the reality of the care work, and I I do think it's really important to talk about how physical the job is, because, you know, it takes a lot of um, physical and emotional um, strength to be able to provide, and skill to be able to provide this care. If any of you have, have ever cared for an elder, you know, it can be very challenging um, both the circumstances, but also, you know, the interaction with the elderly. And so to me, it's just absolutely essential that our elders have the ability to decide how they want to age and that they age with dignity and respect. And that's what caregivers are providing. It's what makes me so passionate about this work, because as I think about our children who nannies are caring for, our homes, the the site of all our you know, love and attention that house cleaners are cleaning and our elders that have so much wisdom that caregivers are providing support for. Like, I want everyone involved in that to be making sure that they can kind of be them, their best selves. And right now, our system really doesn't allow that. It's why we're so excited about the, the Biden promise of $400 billion, because we really need that investment um, to make sure that the future of work and the future of our economy has good jobs at the base of it. And right now, like Jane said, care jobs are not good jobs. They don't have benefits. They don't have good pay. They don't have worker protections. So if we want not only to be able to recover from the pandemic economically, but also to look ahead to the future a little bit to make sure that the jobs of the future with care jobs absolutely are, are good jobs, we have to be able to to make that investment. Is more pay, which clearly Jane was asking for there directly, in this infrastructure plan, directly or indirectly? It is directly and indirectly. It will raise wages and also deal with a common, very common problem in the industry, which is wage theft. Um, Because these are often very personal um, jobs with employers in the home um, and, you know, domestic workers are thought of as part of the family Um, We find that wage theft is extremely common, and especially um, immigrant and undocumented workers have a very hard time reclaiming their wages, but also there's no HR um, for domestic workers. So this wage theft protection and and other improvements to job conditions are inside the bill, and and that's really important to us. Evie in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. You're on America Are We Ready? Hi, Evie. Oh, hi. Thank you. I am a pastor at a continuing care retirement community, and I... Whoops, hang on. I think we lost Evie's line for a second there. I think we can get you back. Uh, Evie, I'm sorry. I think that somebody slipped here. That was probably me. Go ahead. Start over. You're a pastor at a continuing care facility. We got that much. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so my thoughts about this is I wonder if there's... I think there's probably a middle ground between 
um, care for in a in a big facility, and I mean we we have a jump between you know individual units where a couple or a single lives by themselves, and then a big um, you, you know assisted living facility where it's it's a bit more institutional. Um, I would love to see some kind of funding for like small group group homes where say you would have eight to 10 individuals in a, in a, in a larger home with mm-hmm. a care provider there. And perhaps because we saw so much um, the emotional cost the, uh, during the pandemic for, um, for people that were in the, the assisted living facility yeah. um, mm-hmm. having to be locked down and so isolated, perhaps that would be a middle ground. And, of course, nobody died at a higher rate than people in the nursing homes as well, workers and residents. Evie, do you consider this care infrastructure infrastructure? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just checking. Thank you very much. Um, So, Jess Morales-Riquetto, from what I've read, clients today are eligible to have Medicaid pay for home health care only if those older Americans have less than $2,000 in savings in many states. That's mm-hmm. so low. Is that your understanding? It is. It is. Yes. It, this is a thing a lot of people don't know until you know they're confronted with this. But to be eligible um, for a state-based support around elder care, you often have to basically clean your, your bank account out um, which is one of the reasons why it can be so expensive. And as one of the callers was saying a little bit earlier, um, there's actually a cap um, on the amount that you can receive from the government as well over time. And as people are living longer, this is becoming a big challenge uh, because that cap was set when people were not living as long as they are now. So most people run out of their sort of lifetime cap um, um, for Medicare and Medicaid mm-hmm. services. And that would mean that there are millions of Americans who have very small amounts of assets, but more than $2,000, who also couldn't possibly afford home health care today at all. And even with that, the Washington Post says there is a big waiting list of people who do qualify for Medicaid home health aides, but they have to wait their turn. Is that because there isn't enough funding or there aren't enough aides? Uh, It's both. There's not enough AIDS and there's not enough funding. Uh, Over the next 10 years, we will see an explosion in the demand for home health care. So even more than is needed right now, it'll it'll grow almost more than 50 percent. So we don't have enough care workers. And part of the reason for that is that, you know, um, as Jane was talking about earlier, these are low paid jobs that are really, really tough. And so we have to make these jobs really attractive, good jobs to be able to meet demand now and in the future. I'm curious, since um, you just mentioned that people run out of lifetime benefits, even if you qualify for a Medicaid home health aid, uh, it doesn't necessarily last for the rest of your life. Does your group, the Domestic Workers Alliance, advocate for single-payer healthcare, sort of Bernie Sanders, Medicare for all style. Of course, that would need a different funding mechanism than the particular taxes that President Biden is proposing for this infrastructure plan as it is. But is that a position that you take so that the 
care would be covered in an unlimited way. Again, we'd have to find a way for pay for it, to pay for it, but I'm curious if that's your position. It is, yes. We advocate for what we call universal family care, which, is, which as you said, is not what uh, the president is advocating for in his plan, but is our kind of ultimate demand, which is that from the cradle to the grave, people would be able to afford care and be able to access high quality care um, no matter what. We've got about 45 seconds left in the show for you to get a last word. You do political advocacy around this. What's the job ahead for you in D.C.? We um, you know, took the big first step last week with um, President Biden in his campaign promise uh, saying yes to this $400 billion investment. Now we need to pass it in the House and Senate. So we are putting all the pressure on Congress to make sure that they know that this is an issue supported by voters and that it is the key to economic recovery after the pandemic and in the future. And listeners, that's it for this week's edition of America Are We Ready? We thank our guests Clarence Anthony, CEO of the National League of Cities earlier, and Jess Morales-Rochetto, just now, Executive Director of Care in Action. Thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. And listeners, we thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for those who called in and lended your voices to this conversation, whether you were sandwich generation people who need home health care or if you work in the home healthcare side of things. If you want to hear my other work, you can subscribe to my podcast called Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, or I'll just see you back here next Thursday night for America. Are we ready? It'll be edition number 12. We've got four to go. There are four more Thursdays in Joe Biden's first hundred days. So have a great night and talk to you next Thursday night, I hope.